celebrating the Lord's Supper like that and just remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. Brings a perspective to the message that we're going to be looking at today from the book of Malachi. Because if Jesus hadn't come and hadn't died, everything that we read here in Malachi would have just been stories and false. But Jesus did come. He came to this earth. He did die for us. He did rise again from the dead. And so everything is put into perspective. And that is why we can learn from a book like this. And so let's open our Bibles this morning and read from the Old Testament, the very last book, Malachi. And we're going to be reading a selection of verses there because I want to take us to the main themes. So Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Now turn to chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Here's the second part of the main theme of this prophecy. Chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And if you think that's just about bringing offerings, there's a surprise waiting for you. Alright? And then turn to verses 17 to 18. This is a future perspective. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. As we come to this last book in the Old Testament, the last of the Old Testament prophets, we can still hear today what God is saying to us through Him. After Malachi ceased this prophecy, there was 400, plus or minus 400 years of silence where God did not speak again through any prophet to his people. And then John the Baptist bursts in on the scene with his message, the Messiah is here, prepare the way for him. And I ask you to study with me as we go through this book. There is no way I can cover everything in this book from this pulpit on a Sunday morning. And that is why I handed out, as I thought I did last Sunday, that little summary of the book of Malachi and the main themes. And what I'd really ask you to do is look at that summary, go through it in your own time, and go and sit with this book of Malachi and read through it by yourself. See if you can read it through in one sitting, because then you'll get the gist of what the prophet is saying. 
And then as you come here on a Sunday morning, you've already looked at God's Word. And we can go and look at particulars that God is telling us through this Old Testament prophet. It was G. Campbell Morgan who said this, and listen carefully to his words. We know the truth of God as no other age has ever known it. And yet there never was a time when men, knowing and living under its blessings, were less obedient to it than now. Think about what we've got today. We've got the Old Testament, we've got the New Testament, and we've got all the commentaries on all the books. We know the truth of God as no other age has ever known it, and yet there never was a time when men, knowing and living under its blessings, were less obedient to it than now. You see, what is the modern attitude today when considering God? Man today considers himself superior to God. Man today has the audacity to attempt to bring God down to earth and to measure God by the yardstick of human morality. You only need to go to your local rag, the Chronicle. You only need to go to the New Zealand Herald. And those of you who get the Time magazine, look at that publication and you will see men wanting to bring God down to a human level. Besides those who want to do away with God entirely, people want to put God inside this man-sized box which they can control. You see, we want a man-sized God today. A God who we only endure if he doesn't go against the general consensus of mass morality values. We want a God today in our churches. Yes, speaking to those of us who come to a church Sunday by Sunday, you see, we have the same problem. We want to put God and our faith in that same box by boasting to ourselves of our knowledge of truth but by never responding to the truth of God's Word. And those who read God's Word at all come at it with a mechanical and a technical attitude. The truth never penetrates our hearts. It doesn't make any difference in our lives and in our characters. And it never brings us to true godliness and holiness. We looked at that last week in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Those who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. How do we know this problem is prevalent? You might be one of these. Listen to this. Whenever you have a problem in life, when a job falls through, when a romance goes sour, if sickness and death touches someone close to you, or even if you fall sick yourself, what do we immediately do? We blame God and we hold Him accountable. Do you find yourself ever doing that? You see, having a man-sized God is one of the problems that the people had in the time of Malachi and that is what the prophet speaks out against. And so today, more than ever, we need to hear what God has to say through this Old Testament book, through the prophet Malachi. And so what can we learn from this last book of the Old Testament? What message can you and I in 2011 get from this prophet? What has he got to say to us today? Before we go any further, we've got to 
apply a hermeneutic rule. Hermeneutics is the rules on how to study a text and interpret it properly. And it's really important that we recognize that this text, this prophecy, the book of Malachi, was written to a specific audience. Yes, it was written to the people of Israel. But there are general truths that are applied in this prophecy that we can still apply to us today. Unchanging truths based on God's character, which is unchanging, and unchanging truths which come from the principles that God has given to us on how we should live. And that is why this text is written to the people of Israel, but we can learn from the general principles from it today. The Apostle Paul explains it really clearly in Romans chapter 15 verse 4. This is what he says. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Remember, he's in the New Testament. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so we come at the book of Malachi in 2011 so that we can find hope, so that we can live godly and holy lives before our holy God. Malachi brought this burden or this oracle, if you look at the introduction, from the Lord. And an oracle was a prophecy to the people, but it had overtones of judgment to it. He brings this oracle or burden from the Lord to the Jewish people. The Jewish people who had just returned from exile in Babylon, and that happened in 425 to 432 BC. And this oracle gave God's perspective on the very same themes which Nehemiah was confronting the people with at the very same time as a civic leader. And so Nehemiah and Malachi are in the same era. Nehemiah is the civic leader and Malachi is God's prophet to the people. And they are speaking to the people about the same themes. These were the very same themes which Haggai and Zechariah had also brought to the people 100 years before, a century before, these very same themes had been brought to the people's attention. But the problem was that these warnings, these teachings were still going unheeded. And so the, the Lord sends his prophet, Malachi. What were some of these themes? And you need to know these themes if we're going to go through the book of Malachi. There are six major themes that God is going to bring to the people's attention and also to ours. The first of these themes is God's love and His faithfulness to them, but, and you know the answer already, their unfaithfulness to Him. There's the first theme, God's faithfulness, their unfaithfulness. Second theme was the, the people going through the motions of worship without their hearts being in it at all. The third theme that, the, that God brings to the attention is the unfaithfulness of their leaders, their religious leaders, the priests. Not just before the Lord, but also in the example before the people. The fourth theme that the Lord brings to their attention is their shortchanging of God by giving Him their second best. They were giving God their second best, what they could spare, instead of all of themselves. And God brings it to their attention. The fifth of the themes we will be looking at is 
the widespread practice of intermarriage with the nations around them. This was still going on. And also inside the nation of Israel, the widespread practice of divorce, which God hated and still does today. So that was the fifth theme. And then sixthly, God brings to the attention that, yes, they called themselves God's people, but they were ignoring social justice inside their own communities. They were ignoring people with needs and people there to look after. So those are the major six themes we'll be coming to through this book of Malachi. And then overarching all these six themes are two major themes that God brings to their attention. He firstly brings them, there's a call to them, a wake-up call from the Lord for a renewed faithfulness to God. God says to me, come back to me. Worship me from your heart, says the Lord. And then the other major theme overarching is God's imminent judgment of the disobedient and evildoers. So those are two overarching themes that cover those six we've already looked at. And then woven right through the middle of all these themes is one major theme of hope. You see, as the prophets were bringing these proclamations of shortcomings of the people, as the prophets were telling the people and warning them that judgment was coming, through all of this, the prophet brings a message of hope. Turn to me, says the Lord, and I will be your God. And he tells them of this future messenger of the covenant, the coming one, the Messiah himself. And there was their message of hope, right in the midst of everything they'd been doing wrong. And so, as we've already seen, this message was specifically to the people of Judah and Israel, but the themes remain timeless, and that is why we can study them today. Why is that? Because the Messiah who came so many hundreds of years later came for all men. The Messiah came for all men. And God's character and His requirement of holiness have remained unchanged. How do we know that? God's Word says to us, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I, the Lord, do not change. So that, that was the prophet's mandate for bringing this message. It was a message from God. And we also see there our mandate for hearing that message today, even though that was a specific message to the people of Israel. God's principles to us remain unchanged. And there we have a mandate for learning from them today. And so, as we come to this message, what I want to look at this morning, very shortly, is just a summative view. From the top, looking down, what was the main thrust of this message that God was bringing to the people? And then we will go through the next following six weeks and we will look at the specifics of what God was saying to the people So what is God's message to us today? So many years later. Surprisingly, you look at those six themes, it is still very much the same to us today. It is still the message of God's faithfulness, and you'll know your own life, but our own unfaithfulness. Of our going through the motions of worship when God wants our lives to be expressions in totality of worship. To him. 
It's still a message today of the unfaithfulness of so many of our religious leaders, both in their leadership before the Lord and in their conduct before God's people. You only have to turn on your television set, you only have to look in the newspapers, both in New Zealand and internationally, and you will see examples of religious leaders who have been, who are guilty of sexual misconduct and of using money as they shouldn't use money. And the Lord speaks about that today. It's the very same theme that we find here of our giving to God what we can spare of our lives. We give back to God what we can spare of the blessings He pours out on us. Instead of giving Him the very best of our lives. Instead of giving back to God the very best of those blessings that He gives to us. The very same theme is still brought out to us today. It's still a message today of how easily we resort to shortcuts in our Christian lives. Especially in the field of marriage. And I've heard it so often, but I can't find a Christian guy who I can marry. And so I take a shortcut and I marry a non-Christian. No, God speaks about that. Don't you trust the Lord? He will provide in His own time. And then how often inside our churches don't we resort to divorce? And I know it's a hard process, but people too easily go to it. And you see, it's the same message today. It's just different recipients. It's you and I. When you look around us, it's you and I. We are the recipients of this message today. And the overarching themes, they still apply to us. Is God still faithful? Yes, He is still faithful to us as believers. And is He still coming again? Is His judgment imminent? Yes, it very much stands before us as well. And so those two themes are before us. And God calls us to live lives before Him, which are living relationships with Him. To still continue day in and day out, living our holy lives before Him, confessing our sin before Him, keeping short accounts of those wrongdoings in our lives before Him. God hasn't changed. This message is for us too. And through it all, do we still have hope? Yes, of course we do. Because he who said he is coming, Jesus Christ, is he coming? Yes, he said, I'm coming soon. And yes, there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a door that is still open. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you still may go in through that door when you get to know him as your saviour. And so those truths remain the same. As we come to this message of the Lord to us, there are two parts to this message, and I read them when we did our reading earlier this morning. We looked first at God's divine attitude in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. What does God say to His people? I have loved you, says the Lord. Look at those words. I have loved you, says the Lord. There's a summary and the basis of the whole message of Malachi, which is going to come through. The love of God. Every word addressed to these people regarding the details and the condition of their lives spring out from this one fact. I have loved you, says the Lord. And then what we read later in chapter 3, God's divine call. He's called to us to come back to Him, to be faithful people before a holy God we'll look at in future messages. You see, but God says to them, I have loved you. 
Why does he say that to these people? What was their condition? Why did God find it necessary to speak to these people? When we look at the text, and you'll be doing that in this week as you read through it, that these were a people who were perfectly satisfied with their lives before God. These were men and women who thought they were just right before the Lord. They didn't need to do anything else about their, their lives before Him. They saw themselves as holy. And yet, God charges these very same people with sacrilege, with profanity, with greed, etc. Go and read about it in this text. I have loved you, says the Lord. I now love you, says the Lord. I will love you, says the Lord. You see, this declaration to these people is made to them while they were still in a state of sin. I find that so amazing. Here these people were living in a state of sin before the Lord, and you can read about it, and yet he says to them, I have loved you. He is the one who instigates this change that he wants to bring in them. They were in a state of sin and neglect before him. And therefore the prophet brings this burden from the Lord to these people. This prophet comes to warn them that they can't carry on living as they are. There is a day coming when there will be a burning like an oven wherein all chaff will be destroyed, says chapter 4. Because God loved his own and God could not endure that there was anything impure before him and he wanted to have a pure people to dwell with him and say he would bring judgment. I have loved you, says the Lord. Every message of God's coming judgment and blessing is a message of love to them. Whether it's a harsh sounding message or whether it's a message of tenderness, that is the main theme. God's great love poured out on us. And that is why God can claim the honor and the fear of these people. You see, it's based on His unmeasured love to them but also by the demands of his own holiness. Be holy because I am holy, says Leviticus 11.44. Has anything changed? Is God now less holy than before? No. God is holy. He hasn't changed. He is still the great I am. And so that applies to us. Why does God want them to honor him and to fear him? Is it simply just to glorify himself? No. It was also for their own blessing and good. You see, how is God glorified today? How is God glorified? Is He glorified through our good lives? Is He glorified through these beautiful songs that we might sing? Is He glorified by our devotion to Him? Is He? Let me ask you another question before we answer that one. Can you and I add anything to God's glory through anything that we do? Have you ever thought about it that way? Can we add anything to God's glory? That would mean that God isn't 100% glorified already. So, can I glorify God through the way I live? Can I add to His glory? No, I can't add to His glory. But something happens when I live in an obedient life. You see, we cannot add to God or to God's glory. We can't add any brightness to His character. We can't add any fullness to His love, can we? How then can we glorify God? We can glorify God in the perfect realization. That is, to make things happen 
through our lives of God's gracious purposes and His love for us. Through us, through our obedience, God makes His purposes happen. God is glorifying Himself through us. Do you get the difference? It takes the pressure off us. Nothing we do can glorify God any more than what He's already glorified. But He glorifies Himself through our obedience. He glorifies Himself through us. John Piper put it so eloquently as only John can. The chief end of God is to glorify God and to enjoy Himself forever. God glorifies Himself. Campbell Morgan said it very clearly like this, and it might be more clear than what I've been this morning. Listen to what he says. Does the flower that lifts its head from the ground add any beauty to God? No. It's all that God meant it to be, and God is glorified by the realization of his own purpose through it. And so with us. God wants us to honor and fear him, says Campbell Morgan, because by doing so, we make his purposes happen, and he is glorified. You get the difference? So God glorifies himself through us. And that's why God sometimes brings his rod to bear in you and I when we go our own ways. That is why God brings his hand of punishment on us when we wander as his children. It's because God's discipline shows how perfectly, how unvarying and how unchanging his love is. That's why he does it. He loves us. I know myself, you see. If I was God and Israel were my people, it would be a different story. I would have blotted them out. I would. I know my human weakness. I know my impatience. But God, just one example, for 40 years, think of that, for 40 years, that's just a little longer, no, a little less than what I'm alive, okay? For 40 years, God grieved over Israel when they were wandering around in the desert. He fed them. He carried them on his hands. He bore with their murmurings to him every day. He put up with their rebellion and he patiently waited for them to turn to him. He even protected them. All this while he was grieved with them. That's love in action, isn't it? God's love on display. And their ungratefulness and their obedience, disobedience, this attitude they showed of grumbling towards God stood out all the more as God poured out His love on them as He showed His patience towards them. You see, this truth remains unchanged. I have loved you, says the Lord. It's not just a statement. It's a shout of triumph. If it was me, I'd shout it really loudly and God puts it out there as a shout of triumph. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now let's bring that home to you and I. This morning. That's God's love. Let's go and think about your love today. My love. What did God do for you and I? He found us in our sin. If you're a believer here today, God found you in your state of helpless sin. There was nothing you could do about it. He raised you and I from death. He gave us new life when there was only hopelessness and everlasting death as our future. Think about that. 
He forgave you and I and he continues to do so day by day. He doesn't grow tired of us coming to him and asking for forgiveness. And then, on top of that, he changes you and I daily. And he promises us a future with him forever. A glorious future. What about your love for him? How satisfied are you with your love for him? When you consider, as you're sitting right there in the chair here this morning, when you consider your relationship today with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you consider your daily walk before him, when you consider your attitude towards keeping to the principles spelt out in his word that we hear at this church week in, week out, when you think about your attitude towards those who are still lost, have you got a heart for the lost? I have loved you, says the Lord. Go and do the same. When you think about your attitude towards worshipping Him, yes, as an individual at home, do you have a time of worship at home, not just with bringing your life before Him, but going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to bring you back this word. I want to worship you, Lord. Do you make time to worship the Lord on your own? Or do you just wait for a Sunday morning and then think, I'll come and do that here with the rest of God's people? That's good, but you need to spend time on your own with Him too. When you think about your attitude when you come here on a Sunday morning and you take part in corporate worship of the Lord, corporate singing of His praises, is your heart in it? Or is your mouth singing the words but your mind is far away? Are you worshipping the Lord? Is your love towards Him what it should be? Is what this message is saying to us. You see, what is God really asking of you and I this morning? through this book of Malachi? Is he asking you just for a tenth of your earnings? And you know when people think, oh, Malachi, yes, the church needs money. And that's why these pastors preach this. No, that's not what it's about. That's only a little bit. It's not even a tenth. Is God just asking you for a tenth of your earnings? Or maybe you think he's just asking you for a tenth of your attention every day. Or maybe he's just thinking, you're thinking that he's just asking you for a tenth of your devotion every day. Is that what it's about? No, the Lord asks for the whole tithe. And I touched on it earlier. What is the whole tithe? I give you everything, says the Lord. Give it all back to me. I give you your life, says the Lord. Give it all back to me. I pour out my blessings on you. All of it, says the Lord. Give it all back to me. And it's talking about an attitude there, isn't it? You see, the Lord asks for the whole tithe. Why? Because I love you, says the Lord. He's not only asking for the produce of your labor. He's not only asking for the outward form of being a Christian from you, but he's asking for that inner attitude that you will have towards him as well. He says, bring your whole being to me. Your thoughts, your intentions, your motivations, your aspirations, and worship me from your hearts. Why? Because I love you, says the Lord. Give me love for love. I have loved you. Love me, says the Lord. Romans chapter 5 says it so beautifully. God shows his love for us in that while 
we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Have you ever thought of that? What was in it for Christ? You were still a sinner and yet Christ died for you. He died for me. It was his love. His love compelled him. I have loved you, says the Lord. And my prayer is for us as we go through this book of Malachi. Lord, give us open ears to what you have to say to us today. Give us open ears as we go through this book. Written so many years ago, but with those principles which have remained unchanged. Challenge us. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. And Lord, forgive us sometimes when we think that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us today as much as the New Testament does. But Lord, thank you that your truth remains unchanged. Why? Because you remain unchanged, our God. You do not change. Your character does not change. Your love does not change. Your mercy and your goodness doesn't change. And so you give us this book of Malachi and you ask us to study it, to get the truths from it so that we can live holy lives before a holy God. Be holy as I am holy. And Lord, forgive us when we come short so often before you during the week. Our thoughts are away where they shouldn't be. Our lives are lives that shouldn't be lived the way we do, Lord, before you. But Lord, bring us back to you. You, you call us back to a life of repentance. You call us back to a life of holiness before you. You call us back to a life of not going through the motions of Christianity, but loving you and serving you because you are working in our hearts and we want to out of sheer gratitude and love for you. Lord, may this book of Malachi be a challenge to every single person here. And may we still hear in 2011 the voice of Almighty God thundering out from the truths in it and straight into our lives. Lord, change us, we pray. Make us more like your Son so that we too can glorify you. We ask this because we love you. Amen.